Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast, brought to you by ESPN Plus, the home of UFC 254. I'm Jake Latarski, joined today, as always, by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, please give John a follow at J O N L I T T E R I N E. You can follow me at Roto Jake. Today, we're going to be making our biggest picks for the biggest fights at UFC 254. That's Khabib Nurmagomedov against Justin Gaethje, long-awaited light heavyweight, or I'm sorry, lightweight unification belt here. Uh, before I jump in, just wanted to mention a promo. We're still running with our friends over at ESPN+. Plus. If you sign up through the links on our site, you get a free month of Rotowire. Real easy, full service. That's all DFS sports plus all DFS tools. So help you out with your NFL leagues, any drafts for other things that we've got going on as well. I've got college basketball content coming up for you guys. Uh, just go to rotowire.com slash subscribe and locate the ESPN Plus promo option at the bottom. Or if you already have an account, just click on subscribe now in the top right to begin. All right, housekeeping out of the way. John, good to talk to you again. How have you been? 
again. I mean, there's been a little bit of news. The UFC is still dragging a little bit on the schedule here for November, December, January. But we got that big Conor Poirier uh, rumor. Do you believe it? What do you think of that? And how's it going? Yeah, it's going good. Uh, Sounds like that's going to happen. I think it makes sense both from a stylistic standpoint and the fact that obviously, even though he doesn't have a belt right now, uh, Connor's still by far the biggest draw in the sport. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the sooner the UFC can get him back into the octagon, the better for them business-wise. And um, an action-packed fight with an opponent like Poirier should do the trick. Absolutely. And I almost forgot. I mean, last time we talked about Adesanya Costa, and holy cow, did Adesanya look dominant. I mean, you see anybody that can beat him in that division, or is he going to hold on to that belt for a long time? He could certainly hold on for a long time. He looks like he's getting better. Um, and it's mm-hmm. it's just amazing to me how, you know, you see a guy like Costa who enters and he's so big and physical and you think he's going to get aggressive and he just isn't able to close the distance. And Adesanya just completely neutralizes him with yeah. his length and all that. Mm-hmm. So, look, everybody in this sport is beatable eventually, but um, the odds of anybody in that division outpointing Adesanya over – 25 minutes are, are really, really small. Yeah. It's probably going to take either a wrestler or, you know, a one-punch knockout or, or something to that extent. The guy's just yep. getting better. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, looking, you'd think guys like Costa, guys like Romero would really come after him and, uh, and you know, mix it up and throw offensively. But I think that's just a credit to Adesanya's defense, how the door is just not open for any of that, even if you want to come in aggressive. So it's just a, it's a new level of striking uh, that we're seeing in the UFC and, uh, and good for him. We'll see him be champion a long time. Speaking of champion a long time, it's only been a couple title defenses, but he's got the look of one of the greatest UFC fighters of our generation. Uh, We've got uh, the headliner, Khabib Nurmagomedov, taking on Justin Gaethje in the main event for the lightweight belt. Gaethje, of course, beat Tony Ferguson, upset Tony Ferguson to get the uh, interim championship here. And now we're going to go ahead and have that unification belt. On DraftKings, Khabib is 9,000. Gaethje, 7,200. On FanDuel, Khabib, 24. Gaethje, 18. Uh, The Vegas odds, you know, have this one kind of lopsided. You know, we're looking at uh, Gaethje around plus 2,000. 70, Nurmagomedov, minus 330, so pretty big favorite, odds to finish, Vegas likes that too, minus 215 is the mark there, um, it's the same story with Khabib as it's been the last couple times we've discussed him, he is the arguably the best wrestler that has ever graced the octagon before, we know Gaethje has some wrestling in his background, but my question for you, John, is can Gaethje stay off his back in this fight, and, and if so, does that give him a chance here? It's really the great unknown. It's it's going to be, it is almost, at least in my opinion, entirely what this fight comes down to. Um, if, if Justin Gaethje can stay, if you told me right now that Justin Gaethje is going to be able to stay off his back for the majority of this fight, um, I'd probably give him better than 50-50 odds of winning. Um, he is an excellent wrestler, Justin Gaethje, um, former Division One All-American, but... Um, we've talked about this before with some other guys, a guy like John Vellante, who was also a brilliant college and high school wrestler who, when he began his professional MMA career, essentially shelved his wrestling game. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many ways, Gaethje has, is the same way. Um, he doesn't use it. Uh, now, he's not going to have to use it on Saturday offensively. He's going to have to use it defensively. And Gaethje said, and I've seen in an interview, one of my buddies pointed out to me as that he said he won a lot of his high school and college championships on the strength of his defensive wrestling, which is 
you know, a guy's obviously not going to come out and, you know, say he's not good at something, but that's what, that is what is going to be the difference in this fight. Um, but like you mentioned, takedowns from Habib or defending takedowns from Habib are unlike defending takedowns from anybody else. His positioning doesn't have to be perfect. Um, he has this unique, unique ability to get a guy to the mat when he's not, he doesn't need to get that perfect entry and he still completes his takedown attempts. Um, he averages 5.35 per 15 minutes and perhaps even more impressive than that is the fact his takedown accuracy is 47%. So he's essentially at 50%, which when you're landing that many takedowns at a 50% clip is really, really remarkable. Um, he gets a hold of you and you're going to the ground. That's been the story. It, you know, Dustin Poirier, <laughs> Conor McGregor, Ally Quinta, uh, Barboza. I mean, Michael Johnson. Everything that we've seen from him in recent memory has been dominant like that. Yep. The next fighter to successfully and consistently ward, ward off Habib's takedown attempts is going to be the first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, so, the so, size in this fight isn't going to, I don't think, uh, play a factor either way. Gaith, she's an inch taller. Both guys have a 70-inch reach, so that's essentially a wash. Mm-hmm. Guys are almost exactly the same age. Habib is about two months older. So, um, you know, none of that stuff really looks like it's going to play a factor in this fight. Um, it's really, can Gaethje stay on his feet? Now, to give you an idea of the striking differential between the two, when you look at the significant strikes per minute, Gaethje lands 7.74, which is absolutely insane. And to be honest, for most, for 99% of the, you know, the MMA world, an unsustainable mm-hmm. number. Nine fights, though. Nine fights. Yeah. Though. You just always, it's, whenever you look at data with this or any chart, you see one weird data point, like off in the top right in the distance, and that's Justin Gaethje's significant strikes. He throws with reckless abandon. and But the other data point of that, like maybe you're going to get to here, he absorbs 8.37 significant strikes per minute. So it's actually a negative striking differential. Just everything about Gaethje is an outlier. It is. And to give you an idea of the difference between the two, Gaethje absorbs 8.37 strikes per minute, like you said. Habib absorbs 1.65. Now, there's an asterisk there because part of the reason Habib absorbs so little is because he spends the vast majority of all his fights in top position on the ground. So if you're in that kind of position, you're not going to be you're going to be landing. Your opponent isn't. So you got to take that into consideration. But We've seen in the past, if Habib stays on the feet for a long period of time, he's been rocked before. You know, he has been hit. And to his credit, he's never really been in a whole lot of trouble. His chin has always held up with those strikes that he has Mm -hmm. absorbed. But Gaethje has a ton, a ton of power. And not only does he have a ton of power, he's not just a headhunter. He, you know, he throws recklessly at times. Mm But he goes to the body too, which is what you have to do to try and slow yeah. Habib down. That's what impressed um, me the most in the in the Tony Ferguson fight. I mean, I expected Tony's striking game to be, you know, maybe a level above Gaethje's, but Gaethje actually exercised a little bit more patience in this one. Obviously, working with Trevor Whitman has really helped evolve his MMA, just his overall striking game, and he looked like you know much more calculated, not someone that rushes in because against Khabib. You can't rush in, or that's that just means you're going to get on your back faster. You know, you have to pay attention to footwork. You have to pay attention to all those details of the game. And and to Gaethje's credit, 
he has been improving in that regard, at least from the last fight we saw. Um, you mentioned the defense for, for Khabib. Uh, the, actually, the Conor McGregor fight, Conor was credited with 51 significant strikes, and that was the most anyone has ever landed on Khabib in a single fight. Normally, these are under 30, looking through his fight log. A lot of times, he's putting guys in single digits before he finishes the fight, so that's amazing. So just a couple of points I wanted to throw in there, but... Uh, I guess it comes down to, you know, you got to make a pick here at some point, and then you also have to consider, you know, say you're going with the favorite. I'm going to go with Khabib because I, I can't pick against him, but you also have to think about how viable Gaethje is as a DFS play at 7,200. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, You know, if you would have told me to break down this fight before the Ferguson fight, I would have said Gaethje had no shot, but mm-hmm. he showed something in the Ferguson fight I didn't think he could do. He picked his spots, he took his time, and honestly, he just was flawless. He just he he outworked and outperformed Ferguson in every facet of the fight. Now, I'm with you on the pick as far as Habib's kind of in, I mentioned my article, in that John Prime John Jones, Demetrius Johnson territory where it's kind of at the point where you have to pick him until he loses. Mm-hmm. But he Gaethje is I think severely underpriced from both a Vegas odds standpoint and a DraftKings standpoint. I think he's a really, really good price at 7,200. And the one main reason I think that is if, you know, Habib scores early takedowns in every round and grinds out a decision, you know, it is what it is. But as far as damage, we've never in the history of this sport seen somebody who can take as much damage as Gaethje can and keep on ticking like nothing's wrong. So the odds of Habib ever getting Gaethje out of there quickly are next to none. So if you take that into consideration, it's almost a near certainty that at some point in this fight, Gaethje is going to land, you know, plenty of his own offense. And in that case, at such a low price, given his power, I think he's a hundred percent of reasonable value play. Um, and I really, I think he's underpriced. You know, I understand Habib's undefeated. Um, he's rolled through everybody. And like we mentioned, when we started talking, breaking this down, the, this entire fight is going to come down to whether or not Habib can, uh, whether or not Gaethje can stay off his back. Mm-hmm. It's the, it, I mean, in many ways, it's the story of every Habib fight because no one's been able to do it consistently, but it's even, I think it's even more so more important for Gaethje simply because if he is able to, is able to stay off of his back, I think he has the requisite skill set to legitimately give Habib trouble. Mm-hmm. Will it be able, will he be able to do, will that work out for him? We'll have to see, but 7,200 for a guy with Gaethje's skill set and durability is really, really low priced. Yeah. I actually, um, I messed that up. It's only seven thousand, so seven thousand flat for. Oh, uh, that's even better. Yeah, even better. So uh, yeah, go for that. Um, so we just started doing something new on RotoWire MMA. If you've used our optimizer at all, you know we like to have tools, you know, in conjunction with our analysis. So you can go to the optimizer and you can make a lineup. You can adjust fighters' projections. We started very recently making our own projections for both total fantasy points and ownership percentage, and that's a really tricky, tricky thing to do in DFS. But uh, Gaethje. Because he's so because he's so cheap, because of that outrageous significant strikes landed per minute mark, we had to project a good amount of significant strikes for him. Um, so because he's cheap, because he's popular, and because of the volume he throws, 
I think he has a decent chance. I mean, if Ali Aquinta made it five rounds with Khabib, which is impressive as all hell, by the way, if he can do it, I think Gaethje has a chance to do it, and that opens the door for a 70-80 point night, even in a loss. Now, I expect Khabib to get his regular four or five takedowns, rack up his ground strikes. Uh, the scoring's been a little questionable on on ground strikes lately. You know, that's a whole other topic to get into, but... um he, I think this can be very high scoring for both fighters. I think a stack is in play, and, and it, kind of going back to ownership, we actually have we have Khabib as the highest owned projected fighter on the slate, and we have Justin Gaethje as he, he's top five. You know, right around twenty five percent ownership is what we're going to shoot for. You know, if that's kind of one of your things in DFS, uh, he'll be popular, but with good reason. Yeah, I mean, you know. This is this is one you know I, I don't advise it, but if you're the type to make multiple lineups, this is one of the rare fights where I would look at this and say a stack isn't the worst decision in the world. Mm-hmm. If you want to make a couple lineups where you know just try and take a shot, uh, I think I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised at all if this fight goes the distance. Um, mm-hmm. I would say if it goes the distance that almost certainly favors Habib. If you tell me the fight's going to end at some point before the final bell, I would think that would favor Gaethje. Depending on the book you look at, I'll mention William Hill's odds because they're a legal one and we got to keep it kind of straight on here. But uh, William Hill fight goes to the decision is plus 175. Maybe that could be an okay bet here. You know, if you're more inclined to go that route instead of, uh, instead of uh, the DFS route. But uh, yeah, this is going to be a great fight. It's an excellent main event. Uh, it's uh, The last thing I should mention is that uh, the, the whole pay-per-view card starts at 2 p.m. Eastern. So this will be an afternoon fight. This will probably happen around, what, 4.35 Eastern, get prime Dagestan time, like prime time, I think. Um, so. Yeah, that's why, that's why they did it. They wanted to, you know, Habib is such a big draw around the world. They wanted to... Uh, mm-hmm make sure it wasn't in the middle of the night overseas. Mm-hmm. So set your lineups on Friday night, guys, because I think it's 10 Eastern, the early prelim starts, and, and if you're not used to it, it's you know, and expecting to have all day Saturday to adjust the entries you save. Do Take care of those adjustments here on Friday night, and we'll have it covered for you. Um, okay, so co-main event here. Another banger. Another great fight, I think. It's in the middleweight division. We've got Robert Whitaker against Jared Cannonier. Uh, Cannonier's 8,200 on DraftKings. Whitaker, 8,000. Similar setup on FanDuel, Cannoneer, $17 on FanDuel, Whitaker, $15. And again, the odds seem to reflect this as well. Um, I've been watching that to see if it moves a little bit. It's held pretty steady. It's actually gone to a pick in some books, but I think the majority of books I'm looking at right now have Cannoneer about minus 115 with the comeback on Whitaker at minus 105. This is one Vegas also likes to finish, minus 155 on the odds to finish there. Um, what are you thinking on this one? I mean, this one is one that I went back and forth on a ton. I think both of these guys are very, very good, but uh, who's ultimately Ultimately, your ultimately uh, ultimately your pick here, and uh, how do you arrive at that conclusion? You know, this is another one that surprised me. Vegas and DraftKings both tend to value past work when putting in their odds and their salaries and stuff like that. And Robert Whitaker was the middleweight champion of the world not all that long ago, and he only lo- his only loss in which he gave up the belt was to Adesanya, who we spoke about earlier. Um, I'm surprised Whitaker's an underdog in this fight. I really am. Um, the loss to Adesanya was a poor one. Whitaker, everything Bobby does well as far as stringing together combinations, going to the body, activity, 
it all vanished in the Adesanya fight. Now, after we've seen what Adesanya has done since to Romero and Costa, mm-hmm. I think that's it was probably simply the result of Adesanya being really, really good as opposed to anything Whitaker did wrong. Could have just been a bad matchup for him. And, you know, one of those type of things. I don't think it has any bearing on Whitaker long term. Um, he came back this past July after taking a pretty significant time off. Um, you know, he, he openly admitted he was exhausted. He needed a break and yeah. defeated Darren Till in a main event fight in which Whitaker looked excellent. He was the um, underdog going into that fight. He too. was. And I think I want to say, I think I picked Till in that fight. Um, Whitaker looked great. And where it's essentially at the point where, you know, I really just think the Adesanya fight was just a bad matchup. You know, it didn't go well. It happens to everybody. Um, and for that reason, I'm, I'm, I think Whitaker is being really undervalued here. Um, he's my pick, but, um, you know, on the flip side, talk about Cannoneer a little, this is a guy who is a legitimate contender at middleweight. And it's insane that he began his UFC career at heavyweight, Yeah, not light heavyweight, heavyweight. Um, you know, he's now down at 185 pounds. Mm -hmm. Um, and this has been a a remarkable turnaround. Um, I guess the best example right now of a guy who turned his career around is Jan Bakovic, who was really uh, on the verge of being released, essentially, um, and is now the UFC light heavyweight champion. Um, Cannoneer is in that same stratosphere. This is a guy from February 27th to May 2018, so you know about, about 15 months or so, went one and three and looked like he was for all the world on the verge of being released. He dropped down a middleweight. Um, and has since knocked out Jared, uh, Jack Hermanson, Anderson Silva, and David Branch. Um, Cannoneer's power is 100% legitimate. He has, for a guy who only has 17 pro fights, um, Cannoneer has a good idea inside the octagon of when to push forward, when to hold back. Um, and he's not a kid. You know, This is a guy who's going to turn 37 years old in March. So as far as career fights, 17 fights at you know age about age 37 is... You know, a little lower by comparison, Whitaker already has 27 pro fights um, and he's nowhere near as old. So, um, but I think in, in some sense, I believe in Cannoneer to some extent, but I think he's being a little overvalued. Um, you look at the three wins I mentioned, Hermanson and then Silva and Branch. Um, Hermanson has been good and obviously outperformed expectations, but you know, he's a bit of a pop-up guy in the sense that it's not a guy from which a lot of was expected from. Um, Anderson Silva is obviously the greatest all t- of all time. Um, next week, though, is going to be his final fight of his career against Uriah Hall. So mm-hmm. he's clearly you know, on the downswing. I mean, Silva, 40 when that fight happened? 41? Something like that. Yeah. yeah, he was certainly up there. And I, you know, I want to, I, be- I think David Branch was released. I could be wrong about that. Um, but I mean, he was the know, victim he, of a couple real bad knockouts. He there. was. He was like... He made a real good run in World Series of Fighting, then came to the UFC to mix results, basically. So um, I'm I'm with you there. If you take apart Cannoneer's record since moving down to middleweight, yeah, he's won three in a row. And I think that's why Vegas likes his momentum a little bit. But, uh, you know, before that, lost to Dominic Reyes and Jan Bukovic. You know, so what? They they both just competed for the light heavyweight title here. But uh, I would have liked to see Cannoneer against, like, a little— I know he's had fight cance- fights canceled. He was affected by the pandemic like everyone else. But to be able to confidently pick him, I think I'm with you, John. I would have needed to see him against, like, maybe a slight step up in competition. Right. And, you know, you know, what I'm saying is, and I'm sure you agree, you you know, Cannoneer's, you can say Cannoneer's really good. You know, maybe he's 
a top, you know, five middleweight. Maybe he's number five or number six or whatever. You know, he could be really good, but still not be on Whitaker's level. If Whitaker wins this fight, you know, he might be, I would guess, he'd be no more than maybe one more big win away from getting a title shot, another title shot at Asanya. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking he, at he's, the, right, he's right there. Yeah, I'm looking at the list. He's already the number one contender. Um, maybe you'd have to do Whitaker Costa after that to see how it happens. I mean, you could do matchmaking so bad against Adesanya. You can't run him back there even if he wins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you'd have to do Costa and then maybe you'd throw Costa, Hermanson or Cannoneer. You'd have to throw a few more out there here. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Costa Romero, by the way, but we can matchmake forever. (laughs) Yeah, if Whitaker wins this fight, I mean, he certainly he could be right next in line. He's certainly no more than one win away. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah he's, really right, he, he's right yeah. there. I'm looking at this list. I mean, Gaslam, Bronson, obviously he beat Till, Romero. None of these guys are going to leap Whitaker, I don't think. In, no, uh, Whitaker just yeah. beat Till. I mean, you know, we could go down the line. So so I'm in a pool, a survivor pool. Shout out to uh, Sean, MMA wizard on Twitter. He, um, you, you have to pick one fighter every single week, or you start with three. It's like a strikeout survivor pool. You have to just pick one fighter to win, right? And, of course, I lost my first two a while back. This has been going on for a little while now, and I'm down to one pick left. But there's a little rule in this uh, pool where if you pick a betting underdog, you get your pick, you save your pick, and then you get another bonus pick here. So I'm pretty close to contacting him right now and being like, hey, does Whitaker count as an underdog? Because I'm going to go ahead and take that and put in – the entirety of my, of my pool on that and maybe getting that bonus one. But as you can tell, I'm with you. I like Whitaker too at 8,000. I think he's a good play on DraftKings. Um, I, I, I Cannoneer has been finished by bigger guys in the past, so it's tough to predict a finish, but definitely when predicting this out right, I'm going Whitaker and anybody that's under that 83, 33 average per fighter becomes in play on DraftKings. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, like I mentioned in the beginning, I'm, I'm surprised about the odds here. Um, you know, I would have guessed Whitaker probably would have been like maybe 8,300, something, you know, somewhere in that area uh, you yes. know, with, yeah. That would have been, that would have been Whitaker minus 140 ish as a something like that. Yeah. Minus 135. Yeah. Yeah. You know, our, uh, like Chris Lewis and Jeff Erickson on the XM show, they like to set the odds here. I need to start playing that game here where I don't even look at the odds. It's so hard because I get, I, you know, I get the auto tweets sent to my phone and all this stuff, but I want to sit down and write the odds out before I actually look at the fight and see how close I am. And maybe that'll, you know, it's a strategy for, you know, betting the spread and everything else, but maybe that'll help identify plays a little bit better. Um, let's move on, though. Got some heavyweights we got to talk about. Alexander Volkov, Walt Harris. This is a great heavyweight matchup. Uh, Volkov, 8,600 on DraftKings. Harris, 7600 Volkov 17 on FanDuel which I think is pretty cheap for a favorite um of, of his capacity at least Harris 15 um Volkov minus 155 come back on Harris plus 135 I mean these guys have seen their fair share at least Volkov of getting close to the final bell but Vegas still likes this one to finish minus 165 here um John I, I, I'm going to I'll go first I mean I, I like Volkov in this fight I think he's the more complete fighter I think we've seen He's going to be much better as this fight gets into deep waters. Um, you know, Volkov has had a couple tough breaks since coming over to the UFC. Was the former Bellator heavyweight championship or champion? But I think uh, I think he can get this one done here. Uh, I'm not counting Harris out as an underdog. Absolutely has more than a puncher's chance at a pretty decent price. But uh, I got to go Volkov. What do you think, man? I agree. Um, unlike the last. The first two bouts you mentioned where I thought the odds and the salaries were a little funky. Um, this seems about right across the board. Um, DK-wise, Volkov's 8,600. Harris is 7,600. 
Um, Volkov is a pure kickboxer. Um, big, big guy. Um, six foot seven. And this is going to be one of the rare instances where Walt Harris, who is just Walt Harris looks like an NFL defensive lineman, mm-hmm. um, is going to be giving up size. Yeah, he's, he's going to give inches. up two inches of height and three inches in reach to Volkov. Yeah, and the three inches of reach is big because of how many kicks Volkov throws. He's a big, long guy, pure kickboxer. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like Volkov. Um, I think he's probably being underrated a little bit because of what happened in his fight, most recent fight against, against Curtis Blades in June. Um, Volkov had all kinds of problems with the pace that Blades sets, which mm-hmm. is an ongoing problem for anybody who Blades goes up against. Um, he landed four, Blades landed 14 takedowns in that fight, which is, you know, obviously astronomical. Um, to give you an idea of how good Blades is in that category, in Volkov's other six UFC fights, he would only, he's only been taken down five times combined. So you, you take a look at that. Um, uh, now, I think the part of the unknown here is the mental state of Harris. Um, you know, we won't, we won't talk about it in depth. We, you know, everybody, if most, I'm sure most of our listeners, family tragedy. Know the, yeah, with the death of his stepdaughter. Um, he fought Alistair Overeem um, in May in his first fight since mm-hmm. that happened. And um, he didn't look great. Um, I thought that was a fight Harris was going to win, yeah. and Overeem gave it to him pretty good. Yeah, well, um, understandable. for what it's worth, Harris landed early in that fight, and I really did think for a second that they were, the ref was going to stop the fight in favor of Harris because he was he was starting to unload on the Reem a little bit. But I mean, to Overeem's credit, he outlasted him, and basically Harris punched himself out right. And then by the time it got to rounds two and three. Overeem pretty much had his way against a very, very tired out opponent. Overeem, the veteran, you know, he's been in this spot before. Um, I wouldn't say Harris looked bad by any means, and I thought he was very, very close to winning, but uh, ultimately it didn't go his way. Right, which in many ways I think is kind of what you're looking at here. Harris certainly has more power, and he's certainly more explosive, but that window of opportunity for him is kind of Mm -hmm. small. In the sense that I would think it would probably have to be a, in order to confidently say Harris is going to win this fight, I think it would probably have to be via first round stoppage. Yep. Um, there's an explosiveness to Harris as far as in short bursts that Volkov can't match. Mm-hmm. But like you said in the Overeem fight, Harris, you know, went for broke early, didn't get the finish, and then was essentially done. Um, and I don't think, you know, and it's crazy because Walt Harris hasn't fought like a ton. You know, he's been around, but he doesn't fight super often. But this is a guy who is already getting up there in age. He's born in 1983. By comparison, Volkov, is, who has, you know, almost, what, twice as many pro fights or so, is five years younger. And, I, you know, I don't think that gets talked about a lot. Walt Harris relies on his athleticism for success. It's athleticism and explosiveness. And this is a guy who's 37 years old. So Mm -hmm. if you're relying on that um, and then you look at the age, he's certainly on the downslope of his career. You know, he's not going to be gaining skills at age 37. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you want to, you know, look, if you're trying to fill out a lineup and you look at this and say, wow, 7,600 is a cheap price for a guy with a whole bunch of power and I'm just trying to throw something together. 
mm-hmm. you know, there's he's certainly a better bet at 7600 yeah. than some of the other lower price fighters mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I mean, he should be, if you're trying to mass enter GPPs, he should be in your player pool. Uh, and you sprinkle him a little bit. How much exposure you want is ultimately uh, is a tricky question to answer here. But he should definitely be in your player pool, someone that can end the fight in an instance like that. But I don't think you touch him really in cash games. There's a lot that could go wrong here. The last point I'll make on this is obviously Volkov looked bad against Blades. You know, if he went out, if he goes out and beats Curtis Blades, one, he's not having this fight, and two, if he was, he'd be a massive, massive favorite. Uh, it's a little more in check now, so you can get him at a cheaper price. Blades game, obviously, his wrestling. Walt Harris, on the other hand, averages 0.32 takedowns per 15 minutes, which is basically neg- negligent. You, I mean, you can say he doesn't wrestle. His takedowns have came against Andre Arlovsky. And uh, Mark Godbeer, who I guess Arlovsky's on his very last legs, and Godbeer probably got released. There's going to get, I mean, just not not great. I mean, that wrestling skill that Blades brought to the table to neutralize Volkov is not something Harris produces. So best chance for Harris, yeah, we're in agreement. Put him out of there early. Will it happen? Probably not. I like Volkov for cash games, and um, he could rack up enough strikes to be GPP viable. Especially because he's eighty six hundred and he's not up in the nine k range, so yeah, like I like Volkov on DraftKings, and uh, I guess we'll kind of move on from there. We're in agreement. A couple fights had to replace uh, some of the pay per view card. This is six fights on the pay per view card, so this is a little unique. Normally they roll with five. Uh, we'll touch on a couple of these fights, I guess briefly. You know, I don't I don't see a ton to break down in this one necessarily. Um, one of the fights was supposed to be Lauren Murphy and Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, Calvillo, I believe, tested positive for COVID, so we've got Lilia Shakurova coming in and making her UFC debut on short notice. DraftKings sometimes will have it where they'll launch the contest really early and you know they can't change Murphy's price. In this case, they held out on this fight, which is definitely smart. Not going to have any kind of ownership percentages way out of whack here. Murphy is, um, let's see here. Oh, dang it. I, I wrote it down in your column here. Um, uh, Murphy's 8,800. There we go. And the comeback on 74. 74. Okay, beautiful. There we go. Um, similar on FanDuel, 19 for Murphy. 11 for Shakurova. Um, I mean, this one, I mean, the pick has to be Murphy here. I'm pretty sure it's going to be unanimous on the staff picks. Uh, but, I mean, do you, Murphy's historically not been a good DraftKings scorer. Can you trust her here? Not, you know, it's, it's hard because, you know, I'm going to openly admit I know nothing about Shakurova. Not only do I not know anything about her, I had never heard when I was putting that column together, I had never heard literally ever of anybody she's ever fought. Mm-hmm. She only has nine pro fights under her belt, so it's yep. not like there's a whole. Yeah. But I had I have literally never heard mm-hmm. of anybody she had fought. And as yeah. I wrote in my preview column, this kind of looks like just an instance where Murphy was either in Abu Dhabi or, you know, already had a full training camp and mm-hmm. was ready to go. And they tried to come up with an opponent who and that in that instance, you're probably looking at somebody European who can get there and doesn't have visa issues and all that stuff mm-hmm. and can make weight. And Sharikova did. You know, look, I was gonna pick, you know, spoiler, I was gonna pick Calvillo over Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um I believe and that. I'm not a huge I'm not a huge Calvillo fan, but it's just the one thing that we do know here is the massive experience edge Murphy has. Now say what you want. She's inconsistent. Like you mentioned, she's not a great DraftKings scorer, but she has fought some decent competition. Jojo Calderwood, Andrea Lee, Sarah McMahon. So she has fought some decent fighters. And that alone gives her the edge. But I'm 
I'm, I'm less confident on Murphy than I probably should be mm-hmm. considering I know nothing about her opponent, but this is one where I don't know. I might just try and fade this thing entirely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you on fading this one. I looked up, I did as much research on Shakarova as, as you could. Not only have I never heard of any of her opponents, I've never really heard of any of the promotions. You know, there, there weren't mainstream uh, situations, you know, regional stuff in Europe. Um, her last win was against someone who was one in three. And that was over a year ago. Um, last October, October 6, 2019. So, uh, I don't really give her much of a shot here. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm discounting her a little bit, but I'm also not super keen on using Murphy at 8,800, especially Especially when Volkov, who we just talked about, is sitting there at eighty six hundred, it's it's tough to make that decision unless you're trying to go extreme contrarian here. Uh, Murphy has nine UFC fights; all but two of them have ended in decision. And the two fights that she finished, they were both in the third round. She scored a hundred DraftKings points one time in her career, and that was a hundred four back in twenty sixteen against somebody named Fashholtz, who I as I imagine is no longer with the UFC. So. That doesn't for me. Not. I mean, it, the pick is Murphy, but low exposure on DraftKings, barely in your player pool, probably. And plus, at the same time, you know, I don't like high priced middle tier women's MMA fighters on DraftKings because every single time I use one, they get armbarred. It, it just happens every time. You know, they get they do a bad roll on the mat and they get armbarred. Not necessarily that's in Shakarova's skill set here, but I don't know. It just makes me a little queasy. I'm probably staying away from this one. Maybe to my detriment, but uh, I don't know. That's not how I want to go out on DraftKings here. Um, speaking of kind of smaller fights, this one basically replaced the Rafael Dos Anjos Islam Makachev fight. That one was going to be a banger. Um, that's a since been rescheduled to, I believe, November 14th, so a couple weeks from now. Watch out for that. Instead, we get a middle weight bout between another debuting fighter Jacob Malkoon 4-0-0 Phil Hawes 8-2-0 coming off contender series Hawes 9100 Malkoon 7100 um, Hawes 19 on FanDuel comeback on Malkoon uh, $10 Hawes minus 260 Malkoon plus 220 um, basically the same odds straight up as the main event um, obviously you're going to get lower ownership on here because of the lack of name recognition. Um, you know, Malcolm only has four pro fights. I think it's a very similar situation to Sack. Uh, Shakarova here. Um, at least all of Malkoon's opponents have been 500 or better. Um, now, you look at the other side, Phil Hawes, he's got some experience. Um, he does have a loss to Julian Marquez, the Cuban mix- Missile Crisis, Alex Perez. So he's got a couple of losses on his on his uh, record, but, I mean, he's way more experienced. And for me, that's enough to use Hawes. Hawes becomes in your player pool to account for variance, but I'm just I'm not sure how heavy I want to be on him um, because I mean odds to finish minus two forty five, but we'll see about that stoppage. Um, you have anything to add on that one, John? Uh, yeah, I, another one. I'd probably I mean, you can use it, but I would keep it minimum. Mm-hmm. The one thing you can say about Hawes is uh, the vast majority of his stoppage wins, I believe, six of the eight um, have all come in the first round. Yep. So you know th- that's a big thing. You know if that's what you're looking, that's really what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Maybe you can toss him in here and there, but 9,100 is an expensive salary for a guy we don't have a ton of background on. Yeah, he's so the story is he's in the player pool, but not necessarily a core core play for me. Um, exactly. I, I like what you said. He's won four fights since the start of 2019. All have been by stoppage. He's completed. He's competed on the Ultimate Fighter, World Series of Fighting, Bellator, Dana White's Contender Series, Brave Dana's, FC. I believe he was on Dana White's Contender Series twice, three, wasn't he? Oh, I thought I thought he was one of the three Pete guys, but he lost. 
he got head kicked, knocked out, and then Dana brought him back in just this most recent season, and he got a finish. So, um, yeah, so he's been at least relatively fresh in that regard. I think they've got contender series stats on fight metric now. I can pull up a name for you real quick. Um, Bestaev. I think he came in as a big favorite against Kadzi Bestaev, uh, put him away with punches in the first round. It was actually Julian Marquez, who's, who was at least in the UFC for a little while. That's who head kick knock, or knockout head kicked him in the yeah, second yeah. round. Yeah, Holmes was a minus 210 favorite in the Bestaev fight. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, did what he should. But, yeah, the experience difference here is enough for me to um, – Again, I, I have I just there's not much out there on Malcoon. Maybe he'll be good someday. It's 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 tough to judge from the limited amount of tape you're able to see. So if you put him in your player pool sprinkles, you know, kind of the same way with Hawes. You know, maybe I go a little bit more on Hawes because of his tendency for first round knockouts. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't like putting that. Um, that much stake into somebody I'm not really all that familiar with, and I'll go ahead and admit that. Um, got one more pay-per-view card fight to talk about, John. Uh, this one is one we have definitely discussed before, so maybe we don't have to go too in-depth. I don't think the picks change really for either of us, but uh, we've got Magomed Ankaliev and Jan Kudalaba. Um, Ankaliev's a favorite in 8,900, Kudalaba 7,300. Similar spread on FanDuel, 19-7, to and... Uh, Again, similar odds as the main event. The favorite on Kaliev, uh, minus two seventy. Comeback on Kudilaba, plus two thirty. Odds to finish minus three eighty five. That's one of the highest marks on the card. Uh, what do you think about this one, John? Um, I think I'm happy this fight's over because I think I've copied and pasted the breakdown into about twenty different previews <laughs> yeah. already. Yeah, I'm so sick of this fight. I am thrilled that it's over. Um, uh, real quick, these two guys fought in February. Ankaliev won in 38 seconds. It was a really, really, really bad stoppage by referee Kevin McDonald. Like one, uh, almost as bad as you'll see. Um, Kudelaba and his team, um, I believe, filed a petition. Mm-hmm. Um, as always, those petition or 99% of the time, yeah, those, those petitions ne- they never work. Um, and this one didn't either. So. Um, the UFC, since that time in February when these two fought, the UFC tried to book this fight on two other occasions. Um, it it, fought, it fell apart both times. Mm-hmm. Um, so here we are. Um, you're right. The pick has not changed. Um, it's on Kali um, at 8,900, Kute Lab at 7,300. Um, you know, we're going the same way. Um, Kute Lab is more of a... I don't want to call him a math specialist, but his wrestling game is a big part of his offense. He averages upwards of three takedowns per 15 minutes. Um, his takedown Pretty high volume. Is, yeah, but there's a power difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and you saw that in the first fight. I think Ankaliev has a, the ability to stagger Kude Lava, and the, his opponent just doesn't have those skills. Um you know, basically, I you know, there's nothing, and this you know, the first fight between the two took place in February, so you know, not all that long ago. There's really nothing that's happened since then, or after the two mm-hmm. reschedulings, yeah. you know, to leave me think this would be any different than the first time around. Yeah, exactly. I mean, part of the reason for the bad stoppage the first time is Kudalaba was kind of trying to pull the old rope dope on him, right? Make it seem like he's out on his feet, and then quick snap back and throw a huge strike to maybe get on Kaliev by surprise. Um, that's part of the reason McDonald came in and stopped it because he thought it, Kudalaba was in trouble. He was really just kind of playing his little game there. Um, unfortunately, that might be the only shot to catch him off guard that Kudalaba might have to win. And unfortunately, that trick only works once. I mean, 
it's a real cheap price for a guy that I would say has a puncher's chance, but um, the overall um, uh, the overall body of work in terms of the striking game definitely leans heavily in, uh, in favor of Ankaliev. And if you're fighting on a card where Khabib is the headliner and your last name ends in a V, I think by default you have to be uh, the pick in that fight. But uh, no, nothing changes since the last one. I'm with you there, John. Uh, Ankaliev all the way. You think you can get him out of there in the first round, make him a worthwhile DraftKings play? I mean, probably a little bit more comfortable using him than someone like Phil Hawes or no? Um, yeah, probably. I'm, I'm still not in love with the salary. It's a little more. I'd ra- I think I could probably find 8900 I'd rather spend elsewhere, spread it out a little bit. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. So that's the six-fight main card here. A couple of duds on there, but anything headlined by Khabib is going to uh, is going to bring in and do great numbers here. Uh, excited for him to really showcase in, in kind of his neck of the woods there. Um, before we wrap things up, I mean, a lot of other fights going on in this card. There's some good prelims worth tuning into. Did uh, any underdogs catch your eye or any other just like real good fights that you that you're make it worth tuning in early to ESPN? I mean, the one that I, that stuck out to me was the Stefan Struve tied to Ivasa fight, um, only because I thought Tuivasa was a pretty good value play at seventy nine hundred. Um, now, I don't think, you know, disclaimer, I, I don't think Tuivasa is particularly good. Mm-hmm. Um, started his UFC career with three straight wins and has since lost three in a row. So there's a probably, I would say, what a better than fifty fifty chance his job is on the line here, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, I think that's more my interest in Tuivasa is more a lack of confidence in Struve than anything else at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Struve is now still only 32, which is mind boggling considering how long he's been around. Yeah. But um, he has one win in the last four plus years. He's won four in his last five fights. He's been knocked out in two of those. Tuivasa has power. Um, you know, it's probably 50-50. Struve's certainly more skilled, but he doesn't fight like a guy his size should. Tuivasa has more knockout power. You know, if you're going to flip a coin, which is essentially what the Vegas odds say, you know, you take the guy that's $400 cheaper, and that's Tuivasa. Yeah, that's actually one I, I wrote down too, man. I can't remember a card in which we've gelled and clicked, like, on way too many picks. I know it makes for better entertainment value when we sit and argue this whole time, but I'm actually with you on this one too. Uh, should definitely be in your GPP player pool. There are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, first, I saw that MMA junkie article that said that Tai Tuivasa spent some time at American Kickboxing Academy, you know, with Javier Mendez, DC, very, very respectable camp. I don't know exactly how that works in a pandemic, but uh, apparently he was there. Now I don't know exactly. Did he spend the whole camp there? Did he go there for two days of the train or did he go there for two months to train? That makes a big difference here but uh that kind of put him on my radar and i mean tuivasa 27 28 years old here he's pretty young for a heavyweight and uh Really, what I saw from him in his last handful of fights, you know, uh, Spivak is one that he probably shouldn't have lost. Ivanov's very tough to put out of there and a very experienced fighter. Obviously, Junior Dos Santos, um, you know, he's still a top contender even at this stage in his career. Um, so, you know, he had he had some tough matchups, took a couple of tough breaks, but he's raw. You know, that's the thing. And to think that he would go into AKA and help improve his striking, uh, that bodes really well for me. And then, like you said, he goes up against a guy like Struve that, uh, you know, is going to have huge height and reach advantages as he does against everyone. 
doesn't necessarily matter. He kind of hangs his chin out there, and I think Tuivasa has a good chance to get a piece of that chin. And, you know, when you sit in him, you know, you don't get a huge price break there, but 7900 is uh, good enough for me to stick him in my lineup and uh, free up a little bit of celery elsewhere here. Um, the other one that I've seen and seems to be a pretty popular one across social media, at least with some of the gamblers that I follow, is... Uh, there's been a lot of hype for this 11-0 undefeated fighter also making his debut. I think I'm going to say this name right. Shavkat Rachmanov. Um, he's fighting Alex Cowboy Oliveira, who, I mean, Oliveira's on a two-fight win streak, but, uh, you know, I'm just I, I'm not crazy about the guys he's fought. I'm not, he just seems like, you know, you use this phrase a lot, roster depth kind of. I mean, people know who he is, but, uh, you know, I'm not crazy impressed with the, uh, Sabata Griffin wins, and then after that, he's coming off three consecutive losses to Nick Dalby, Mike Perry, and Gunnar Nelson. Um, you know, if you buy, I like to refer to that fight matrix ELO when I'm looking for uh, for some possible upset plays, and ELO actually likes Rachmanov in, in this one by most of their metrics. Um, basically, it means they kind of stack up the fights, the uh, you know the the opponent's strength of opponent. Yeah, it reminds me of March Madness. You know, doing strength of record, right? It's it's something similar to that, at least in the way I understand it someone's listening and can correct me uh go out and uh, happily get at me on twitter wrote roto jake but uh it basically said you know it says those Oliveira losses were bad his wins were just okay and rachmanov what he's the body of work he's done on the regional circuit and the momentum he's gained has given him a pretty good chance to, to get there i mean do you know much about either of these guys could you buy that as an upset pick rachmanov is 7700 so he's even a little bit cheaper than ty yeah i i actually picked rachmanov outright um I thought I liked the odds too and the salaries. I will say, um, Cowboy Oliveira um, is tough. He just, he actually, I mean, he might not have a ton of big wins, but he has a lot of value He's for the company. For a company that holds an event pretty much every week, Oliveira mm-hmm. fights a ton. He can fight in different weight classes, and he has been submitted three times, but in 33 professional fights, he's only been knocked down once. So he's certainly durable. Mm-hmm. But that, no, you're, I, I agree with you. He's certainly a decent play. Um, you know, there, there are, there's a bunch of guys on this card who you're really, well, you just say to yourself, well, you know, I don't think they're going to win, you know, Harris, Gaethje, you know, just talking about the main card, but you're really, if you're trying to fill out a lineup, you really wouldn't have a problem putting them in and that's good. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely gives you a lot of different things to do. I mean, there's no Millie Maker or anything for this card. I think the early afternoon start has something to do with it. But, um, you know, the $20 tournament has, I think, $500,000 500, prize pool, 100 k 200 k something like that to first place. Uh, so there are big payouts for this one, definitely bigger than the last couple cards. So worth tuning into, uh, worth spreading out some of the love, worth trying out some of the DFS tools on rotowire.com. You know, we don't charge for any articles or any of that. We keep all of that uh, free for everyone to check out. Um, the DFS tools do require a DFS subscription of any kind to rotowire, but you can go to rotowire.com slash pod. That's rotowire.com slash pod to go ahead and uh, get yourself a 10-day trial we won't make you enter a credit card or anything like that uh, it just expires when the trial's done so you got nothing to lose go play with the tools play with the mass entry things uh, i think we definitely have a competitive tool with now projections and ownership percentage in there so give that a look as well, well that's going to wrap things up for us thanks again for listening to the rotowire mixed martial arts podcast brought to you by espn plus the home of ufc 254 again give john a follow on twitter at j-o-n-l-i-t 
C-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me on Twitter at RotoJake. We're going to be back with you guys prior to UFC 255. That's November 21st. It looks like a flyweight showdown. We've got Shevchenko against Jennifer Maya, Hevison Figueroa against Alex Perez for the flyweight title. Um, you know, maybe not some names for, for casual fans, but a double title fight is always something to look forward to, John. So we've got that in the books. Any, any final words here for the crowd? Uh, this should be a good one. You know, I, I think the main event is going to be a good competitive fight. I'd be pretty surprised if either guy ran away with it, uh, one way or the other. And, uh, we'll see where they go from there. All right. Right on John. Well, best of luck to everyone putting those lineups together. Hopefully you'll check us out at rotowire.com. Thanks for tuning in and best of luck with the lineups.